Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place or Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this, well, this is the uh, last episode of the year. Last episode of 2019, and we're going to finish it in fine style with an open and shut episode featuring Charles Salzberg. Now, if you don't know Charles Salzberg, let me tell you who this writer is. I'll put it this way. Charles Salzberg is that cool relative that you don't see very often and when you find out he's coming for Christmas you are genuinely excited and uh, he'll probably bring you a pretty cool gift that no one else would have thought to ever buy and it'll be your prized possession for the next 50 years all right maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit but he is a very cool guy as I'm as you're about to discover and we had a, a great conversation it's a fine way to end the year And as some people erroneously point out, the decade. Um, Before that, though, I want to let you know that Wrong Place, Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down Out Books. If you listen to this show by now, you know that Down Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, mostly uh, at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum, featuring writers such as Eric Beatner, Joe Clifford, Patricia Abbott, Ed Amar, Trey Barker. Oh my God, the list goes on and on. They even have two guys with the same last name, Bird, Math Bird and Nigel Bird. And I'm not even out of the bees yet, uh, folks. Uh, so if you want to explore the rest of the crime fiction alphabet over at Down and Out Books, you can do that at their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books. Take the journey with us. And I can truly say with us because uh, yours truly is also published there at Down Out Books. Uh, also published by Down Out Books, Charles Salzberg. So let's meet this gentleman and you decide if you'd like to have him over for Christmas or not. Well, welcome to the show, Charles. Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Frank. You know, I first met you a couple of voucher cons ago, uh, if you recall, at a dinner that uh, Terrence McCauley and Rita McCauley threw. Uh, I remember quite well, and and I remember every free dinner that I've ever gotten, so I certainly remember <laughs> that. <laughs> well, uh, I was intrigued uh, by talking to you and actually picked up one of your books, but I got to know you a little bit better at this uh, most recent BoucherCon in Dallas in November of 2019 uh, because we uh, shared an event. We did, and and you were actually an inspiration. Um, because uh, watching you work was really, it really was an education. I thought you performed very well uh, yourself. Uh, for the listeners' benefit, we were part of a uh, an event that they have at conferences frequently called uh, Author Speed Dating. So imagine, if you will, about 25 tables filled with about eight readers each and two authors at each table, and you get two minutes to tell those readers about yourself and then your partner gets two minutes and then they spend a minute moving you to the next table and it's bam, 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 bam from there. Yeah, for me, it was not a great experience only because it was great having you, doing it with you, but I hate talking about myself. And after about the sixth or seventh table, I got really bored listening to myself. And so I would try <laughs> to change the, the spiel. And you really can't do that. You really, mm-hmm. you know, you were really a pro at it because you knew exactly what you were going to say. And you said it and you, tr- you treated each table as if it were the first time you were talking about yourself and your books. So I really did learn a lot 
about that kind of thing. It was the first time I've ever done that. That was the first time I've done that as well um, in that format, that kind of a thing exactly. But if we ever do it again, I think about halfway through, we should swap and start pitching each other's writing. I, I think that's a great <laughs> idea. Uh, before we dive into your work uh, as an author, I, I wanted to just see if you talk for a second about your, your background prior to your first novel. Uh, because unless I'm way off base, you were a journalist. I was, and, and everything in my career has been accidental. I, I planned nothing, <laughs> and I wound up um, uh, looking for a job, and I got a job in the mailroom at New York Magazine because someone said, "Look, you're you're an English ma- you were an English major, you know how to write a sentence, you know how to you know edit. Maybe you become a magazine editor." And uh, after seeing what they did, it was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. But I thought, you know, these magazine writers, they have a pretty good uh, deal. You know, they 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 come and go as they please. Um, you know, you can work from home. And so I pitched a couple of ideas and New York Magazine picked up on one of them and the Daily News Magazine picked up on another. And suddenly I was a magazine journalist. So, um, yeah, and that was a, a career for quite a while. And that segued into um, writing nonfiction books and book reviews and, you know, all this all this other stuff. But none of it was planned. And so when I was teaching at um, journalism school at Syracuse, um, the Newhouse School, the, the kids would come up to me, very talented kids, and they'd have their whole future planned out. And I'd, I'd look at them and I'd say, you know, you, you can do that. You can plan, but things never work out the way you plan. Just just be willing to, to go in different directions. Uh, and that's what happened to me. So, so nothing was really planned. And yes, I was a magazine journalist and then a nonfiction book writer. And that led you to your first novel, which... Uh... Actually, it was the other way around. My first... Wanting to be a novelist led me to journalism because I couldn't oh. make a living as a novelist. <laughs> True. So I was writing novels before I was um, doing journalism. As a matter of fact, I got into the um, the MFA program at Columbia on on the strength of one of my novels, but I couldn't sell them. So, mm-hmm. but I use I found that I could use fictional techniques in writing nonfiction and writing magazine articles. So it really was the other way around, but. For about 15 years, maybe even a little more, I wrote no novels because I was doing journalism and um, nonfiction book writing. Is that uh, fairly common in the journalist circles that most journalists either have a novel or feel like they have a novel in them? I would say it's common with with magazine journalists, but not newspaper journalists, Hmm. because newspaper journalists are usually trained to write in a certain way and and writing for newspapers is very different from writing for magazines and I experienced that when I was teaching up at Syracuse Uh, the kids who were newspaper uh, majors were very different kinds of writers than the magazine writers and the magazine writers were much you could tell that they were using fictional techniques Mm -hmm. so I would say that you're right about um, uh, most magazine writers that I know have a, at least a book in mind that they they want to do, whereas newspaper writers, they they may fall into it because of a story they've written, mm-hmm. but they, I, most of them don't aspire to, to write novels, I think, in my experience. Well, your first novel, was was that the Henry Swan novel? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And it was, kind of ironic that it's titled Swan's Last Song when it was your first <laughs> book. It is, and, and that would that's the tip-off that I was never planning to write another one. That it was going to be a one-off, 
And not only was it going to be a one-off, but I was I was never going to write I, another crime novel. I, I had no uh, intention of writing crime novels. Uh, that one was, but um, it was really, as a friend of mine called it, an existential uh, mm -hmm. crime novel. Mm -hmm. Because um, the way it was originally written, the detective, Henry Swan, doesn't solve the crime. Mm -hmm. So, um, and he is uh, so, uh, you know, a sort of, upset about that that he quits the business so uh, that's why it was swan's last song is that the detective actually when the book ends is no longer a detective mm -hmm. um that changed though well that was your original ending but when it was published with uh by down and out books uh you you wrote a separate ending or a different ending you, you revised well, well the actually ending. actually it was first published it, it's kind of a weird story it was first going to be published by m evans which was a, a big independent publisher because I had worked on a, a, a the, as a book um, doctor on a, a true crime book, and they were gonna they were gonna publish it, but they would only publish it if I changed the ending, and so mm. I changed the ending for them, and then the owner of Evans died, and his wife sold the company to a a big conglomerate that didn't do fiction anymore. So my agent then sold it to um, another publisher called uh, Five Star. And mm -hmm. Five Star was the one who actually published it and then Down and Out picked it up years later when I had the rights and republished it with that second ending. So the second ending dates back considerably. Yes. The, 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 the second ending, which is really the first ending, very, <laughs> it, it sounds like a Groucho Marx thing or a Costello thing, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Abbott and Costello. The original ending, the first ending, became the second ending because I rewrote the ending. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the new version, both as a, a Kindle book and as a, um, a down and out paperback, has both endings in, in it. And well, it turns out it wasn't Swan's last song because you've you've written more of, of, of Henry Swan. That's right. And the only reason it wasn't is because it was nominated for a Seamus Award for best first, um, you know, mystery detective novel. And what year was that? It was... Um, 2007 and I, I honestly Frank had no idea what a Seamus was because I was not a crime writer not I wasn't even on on um, social media then and mm -hmm. so I went like six months waiting to find out who won without knowing what it was having no contact with other crime writers and then and and as a matter of fact the voucher con that year I think was in in Indianapolis and a friend of mine said, oh, aren't you going to go to the dinner? And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to lose. I, I'm, you know, I don't know anything about this business. And she said, well, you know, I live close by there. I, I can stop. You know, I can, I can go for you. And in case you win, I'll, I'll accept it. And I said, okay, the only way you can do that. But the only way is when I lose and they name someone else as the winner, I want you to get up and say, what the fuck, and walk out. <laughs> um, she never wound up going. But, but that's why, Frank. And when I lost, you know, this, this, you get this taste of being nominated for something. And when I lost, I got really pissed off and said, you know, I'm going to keep writing these things until I win, win something. And so how many Henry Swans do we have now? We now have five, and that's going to be it. The last one, which was out in um, April, this past mm -hmm. April, is is the last uh, i know you never should say never and so you know i never will do that but i have no plans to write another one and he does not get killed in the last one you know it's not if you read it you would have no idea that it's the end it's the fifth in the in the last one but in my mind 
you know, I, I don't know how someone like Lee Childs does it with, with what, 13, 15, whatever he does. If I ha can't write something new about the character, I'm just not interested in it anymore. And so maybe, you know, five years from now, I'll get an idea for him. But right now, I, I'm sort of aimed at other things. Um, you know, people are, are disappointed, but, you know, I, 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 I don't want to be stale. I don't want to write mm -hmm. something just to write something. Well, when you talk about other things, I'd have to go check publication dates, but um, your novel Second Story Man is is something else. It's a different it is. Uh, protagonist or actually a series of three protagonists slash antagonists, depending on whose point of view you want to take. Right. And that came out in 2018. This past year was the, the fifth swan. And then I've just finished a novel, which is a new a new protagonist. And then I have to work on um, four down and out. Uh, I'm in a um, novella collection, so I'm writing a, a novella that's due in January. Well, I, I want to stay with Second Story Man for just a little bit uh, because that was the first book of yours I, I read, and um, it you 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 employ a, a little bit of a unique uh, storytelling method, at least in terms of, of viewpoint. Yes, um, it's actually son of another book I. Did called Devil in the Hole, which was based on a true crime where there were 20 plus um, narrators uh, of, of the book. And, wow. and people, people said, oh, no one will, you know, no one will get it. No one will read it. And that was actually named one of the best crime novels of the year by Suspense Magazine. And so this is really the son of because this is only three different narrators. <laughs> I um, trimmed it a bit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It just it, it worked. It, I didn't even think of it as a gimmick. It just came to me that this is the way this book should be written is from three points of view. Uh, and so, um, and, and the trick was for me, it's not, it's not a Rashomon kind of book where each guy tells what happens from his point of view, but it's the same thing. I, I tried to make it as I did with devil in the hole that each chapter by every, each person moves the story forward. So there's no tromping over the same ground mm -hmm. by each each of the pr protagonists. And so those three protagonists are? Well, the first one is, um, who, who appears first, is Francis Hoyt, who is a master burglar. He's arrogant, he's athletic, he is uh, manipulative, and he believes he's the best ever. That, that character of, of Francis Hoyt, whenever I saw him as I was reading it, the, the visualization, I guess, in my mind, is, is of a jockey. You know, mm -hmm. I see him like a like yes. a like a, like the grizzled jockey in uh, Sea Biscuit or something. Yeah, you've got him exactly right. He's he's of, he's small of stature, uh, and that was purposeful because he gets into tight places. And I wanted to make him, you know, big of mind but small of stature. So that's a really apt. I, I never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. The other one is a, a guy by the name of Charlie Floyd, and Charlie Floyd is a recently retired. Connecticut State investigator, who's kind of the other side of the coin to Hoyt. He is also very full of himself. He does things by the seat of his pants. He, he breaks rules. Um, and then the third guy is uh, a, a Miami uh, police detective, Cuban-American police detective named Manny Perez, who does everything by the book. And mm -hmm. he has recently been suspended from the Miami force as a result of a run-in with um, Francis Hoyt. So the two guys band together to bring Hoyt down. 
And that's the uh, people have. Uh, I never thought of this when I was writing it, but several people have compared it to um, the movie Heat, the the, the uh, Michael Mann movie Heat, mm-hmm. because it's it's this cat and mouse between the three of them. Right. Yeah, the cat and mouse elements definitely. I think that's an apt comparison to that film, which is probably one of the best film top ten film of I agree uh, of, of the nineties at least. It's really an interesting method of telling a story because all three uh characters tell their story in the first person not to pump the tires of my guest at all but i I felt like you really had distinct voices for each of them i mean the francis hoyt voice was very distinct uh and the uh, uh charlie floyd manny perez voices were also very much their own um i never wondered who I was reading. I mean, I think you put their names at the beginning of the chapter. I do. But... And, and, uh, and it's, it's a really astute um, thing that you said because observation, because I did, each one does have the name, but I maintain if I took all the names out, you would have no trouble telling who's telling that chapter. I agree. Because wholeheartedly. They're very distinctive voices. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest thing to do. And if I couldn't pull that off, the book couldn't be pulled off. The characters are not just different in their voices, but their entire thought process uh, and the way they look at the world is distinct enough that it it, it just comes through. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that second story, man. What's what's next on the agenda? Well, I've just finished a book, which I'm um, kind of passing around now. It's called Canary in the Coal Mine, and it's a new PI, but it's also a little bit different from me because this 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 guy is. Um, He's pretty damaged. He's um, not only does he suffer from insomnia, but he has anger management problems. But like most PIs, he's sort of living on the edge, and he gets drawn into a to a case um, that involves the Albanian mob and and a few other things. So uh, I tried, and and most of my books are not, or actually all of them until this one, are not very violent. Mm-hmm. I tried to make this one a little bit more violent because. He does have a temper, so he's uh, prone to to flying off the handle easily, and that was the challenge for me as a as a writer to write someone like this because it's totally the opposite for, for me. I, I'm very kind of mild mannered, and I don't have much of a temper, and I I don't I'm not an insomniac, and I, I certainly don't have anger management problems, but. Um, I like challenges, so uh, you know it, it remains to be seen if I pulled it off. But that was what I had in mind. Yeah, I don't think you've had any murders uh, outside of this new one, perhaps. Well, um, actually, the the only ones that the, the there are two that have murders that take place before the book even starts, right? And there are no more murder murders. I mean, in Devil in the Hole, based on this true crime, there are murders, but they happen before the book starts, mm-hmm. and there's never another one. And the one in um, in Second Story Man happens off stage. You don't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just it, it it's a way to move the story forward. So you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Murder is. I, I don't write murder mysteries, and I don't write murders. And part of it is because, well, part of it is I don't know that much about murders. Uh, I, I actually don't know that much about crime, Frank. I mean, you were an ex-cop. <laughs> you, you know crime. I, a lot of what I do is sort of 
research or off the top of my head. And so far, it's it's turned out to be that I haven't had anyone say, well, that couldn't happen or that wouldn't happen. So it's it's um, it's amazing that that's that's true. But the other thing about murders is that if you turn on TV on a week, there are 30, 40 murders, you know. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it, it it's sort of old hat, plus the fact that most of us, um, fortunately, except someone like you who's, who's worked as a, a police officer, we don't really come across murders very often. You know, mm-hmm. if you're really unfortunate, maybe someone in your family has been murdered, maybe, or you know someone, but most of us don't. But there are so many other crimes that we are touched by right. all the time. And, and so those are the crimes I'm really interested in, the ones where it, it's not a murder mystery, mm-hmm. you know. Well, Charles, I, I've been looking forward to talking to you on, on the show here for quite a while because I, I enjoyed the time that I've spent with you, and I certainly enjoyed the time I spent reading your books. Um, well, thank but, you, and, and this was great. I, this was fun, and I, I hope they do pair us up. I'll, I'll only do it again, that speed dating, if they pair me up with you. Well, I'll try to make it happen. Uh, well, if people want to get the Charles Salzberg fix now, they can uh, do what I did. They can read Second Story Man and uh, start on the Henry Swan series. I've got a few more of those to go, so I'll be busy for a while. I want, I want to tell you thanks for coming on the show, Charles. Oh, thank you. It was a real pleasure, Frank. Take care. And have a nice holiday, too. Well, there you go, folks. A great conversation with Charles Salzberg. I think you probably saw what I meant by... Uh, uh, being a neat guy and uh, uh, the kind of person you'd be happy to show up at your Christmas uh, celebration uh, or whatever it is that you celebrate. Our next episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime will not take place until 2020 when we will talk to cozy author Libby Klein, uh, who has very quickly become one of my favorite cozy authors. Great conversation with her, a very funny lady, and we had some things in common that I did not know when we first started talking, so that was uh, fun to discover. That'll drop on January 6th. Between now and then, uh, the show will be on hiatus for that period of time. I'll see you in January, which, uh, as a furrow update, January will be a big month. Not only is a grifter's song, the novella anthology series that I created and edit uh, drop its first episode of season two, that's Eric Pruitt's Gone Dead on You, Uh, but I will have a book coming out in uh, late January. It's the second in my Spocompton series, and I'll talk a little bit more about it in the January episode, but uh, if you're feeling a little bit of a Zafiro drought, that is going to turn into a flood come January. I want to say thanks to Charles for coming on the show. Uh, Same thing to Down Out Books for being a tremendous sponsor want to thank uh, my wife, Christy, who is so supportive of this podcast, even coming on occasionally. All the authors who have come on thus far, and it is a, a lot. Uh, this is episode number 60. Uh, but most of all, I want to say thank you to you, uh, the listener. Thanks for sticking with the show. Thanks for uh, checking out the work of the authors who come on and for having this be part of your download day. I certainly appreciate it. It makes me want to keep doing it. And we'll hit the ground running in 2020 with our Libby Klein episode. I'll see you in 2020. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime. <laughs> <laughs>